Hi, and welcome to the Fourth Universalist Service video. My name is Ember Kelly, and I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. And thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoy today's video. What follows are selections from our service on July 4th, 2021, themed around thinking about the 4th of July, about the narrative, about myth, and about as people who pursue justice and anti-racism and anti-oppression, what does it mean to celebrate the 4th of July? In this video, you will hear selections from our service. Following that, I hope you sit down for a lively discussion where we go deeper into the service themes together. You're invited to check out these audio and video podcasts each week. They're posted on our website, on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you like what you see, we hope you'll give us a positive review. The likes, the comments, the shares, the subscribes, these all help spread Fourth Universalist Media further. Thank you again for watching, and I hope you enjoy. Today's opening words are by the contemporary UU minister, the Reverend Rosemary Bray McNatt, a former minister at Fourth U. She wrote, by no means are we perfect. We often fail as much as we succeed. Yet even when we have broken our vows a thousand times, we return to this essential work of justice and liberation for all. We do the work best when we remember what church is and what it is not. Church is not a place to hide. It's not a place to get away from the world. It's not a place where we get to pretend that the lives we live in our particular situations are not terribly complex, often confusing, and sometimes depressing. Church is the place where we stand with one another, look the world in the eye, attempt to see clearly, and gather strength to face what we see with courage, and yes, with joy. Um, and so, as I pondered the ways to think about the 4th of July and today's service themes and to talk about them with young people, I was like, oh, this is really uh, a bit of a big topic to try and, and approach. And I was trying to think about how I could do it justice. And as I sat down to watch a movie with my son, Asher, uh, we let him pick the movie that day. And as many parents may be shocked, he picked Frozen 2. Uh, and while watching Frozen 2 with Asher, I said, you know what, I think I have an idea for the time for all ages. And I'm sure parents, forgive me if you've seen Frozen 2 at least 10 times or more, perhaps you think that I should have let this idea go, let it go. Um, but as I thought about it, it seemed like a great way to really illustrate this idea of understanding history and taking action because of the way that we understand history. So I have a few photos for context in case somebody is perhaps unfamiliar with Frozen, but I'm sure that many of the parents are not. Just a second here. So first we have Elsa with the blonde hair here, who goes on an adventure with her friends to discover the cause of a disturbance in their lives, their kingdom, is upset after the spirits of the earth seem to be unhappy 
uh, and this rock troll character, uh, he tells them that things aren't what they seem and that they need to seek the truth to find out what is going on. So they had always been told that the Northaldra, the indigenous peoples of this area, had attacked their kingdom unprovoked and that their country had to do what they did to survive. But along the way of their adventure, they encounter the Northaldra people, these indigenous people, and they are presented with a different story of what happened at that fateful encounter between this royal army and the indigenous peoples of the land. So they continue adventuring to try and find out the truth. What had really happened with their ancestors? What had caused this disturbance? After searching, Elsa discovers that her grandfather had lied about his intentions to help the indigenous people by building a dam to supposedly help them with their crops. And instead, it had hindered their ability uh, to harvest food. And when they meet to discuss this, the king attacks them unprovoked. And so they discover that the royals are the ones who are harming the others. It wasn't an attack on their kingdom, but rather their kingdom and attacking them. And Elsa gets frozen during this discovery and they have her sister Anna has to take action to figure out how they can confront this truth. And in the end, they have to seek justice by confronting this truth, which means destroying this dam that had caused so much harm to the people. And so as I pondered this, this seemed like a great uh, comparison for how we think about 4th of July. We all have varying approaches to how we feel about the country, how we feel about a holiday like the 4th of July, how we feel about patriotism and nationalism. Uh, but one thing is true, as we learn about history, as we seek to be people that care for others and care for justice and care for making a better world, then we should be like these characters in Frozen. We should be willing to go on this journey to understand the past. And then we need to take action to make a difference in the present. And that for all of you children, both children at heart and children is my charge to you to always be learning and be willing to take action so that we can make a difference going forward. The reading today is excerpted from 19th century abolitionist, American abolitionist and orator, Frederick Douglass's 1852 speech titled, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July? Fellow citizens, I am not wanting in respect for the fathers of this republic. The signers of the Declaration of Independence were brave men. They were great men too, great enough to give fame to a great age. It does not often happen to a nation to raise at one time such a number of truly great men. The point from which I am compelled to view them is not certainly the most favorable, and yet I cannot contemplate their great deeds with less than admiration. They were statesmen, patriots, and heroes, and for the good they did and the principles they contended for, I will unite with you to honor their memory. They love their country better than their own private interests. And though this is not the highest form of human excellence, all will concede that it is a rare virtue and that when it is exhibited, it ought to command respect. 
He who will intelligently lay down his life for his country is a man whom it is not in human nature to despise. Your fathers staked their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor on the cause of their country. In their admiration of liberty, they lost sight of all other interests. They were peaceful men, but they preferred revolution to peaceful submission to bondage. They were quiet men, but they did not shrink from agitate, agitating against oppression. They showed forbearance, but they knew its limits. They believed in order, but not in the order of tyranny. With them, nothing was settled that was not right. With them, justice, liberty, and humanity were final, not slavery and oppression. You may well cherish the memory of such men. They were great in their day and generation. Americans, your Republican politics, not less than your Republican religion, are flagrantly inconsistent. You boast of your love of liberty, your superior civilization, and your pure Christianity, while the whole political power of the nation is solemnly pledged to support and perpetuate the enslavement of three millions of your countrymen. You hurl your anathemas at the crowded head, crowned headed tyrants of Russia and Austria and pride yourselves on your democratic institutions while you yourselves consent to be the mere tools and bodyguards of the tyrants of Virginia and Carolina. You invite to your shores fugitives of oppression from abroad, honor them with banquets, greet them with ovations, cheer them, toast them, salute them, protect them, and pour out your money to them like water. But the fugitives from your own land you advertise, hunt, arrest, shoot, and kill. You glory in your refinement and your universal education, yet you maintain a system as barbarous and dreadful as ever stained the character of a nation, a system begun in avarice, supported in pride, and perpetuated in cruelty. Here ends the reading. Good morning. I'm the Reverend Beth Putnam. Thank you for that reading of those words by Frederick Douglass, Mark. And when we're here on the 4th of July, and then you hear those words from Frederick Douglass of, and his speech, what is this, to what, to a slave, what is the 4th of July? Sorry, it always chokes me up when I hear the, his, his words. It reminds me that the 4th of July is a story. And because it's a, a mythic story, it's the story that's meant to tell us the history of our nation. It also fails to tell us so much about our history. There are people who did not gain freedom in the 4th of July. Many people, not just the people who were enslaved, the indigenous Americans whose lands were taken, the women who the constitution ignored largely. There are so many, many different people for whom the 4th is a different kind of day. And in fact, when they declared Juneteenth our newest holiday, the official title of that holiday is Juneteenth, the National Independence Day. It is a reminder that until those who were enslaved were freed, they could not say this was a nation built on liberty for all. 
And as we know, there have still been times, too many times when we have failed since then to truly live up to those words. But that's where getting into that history and seeing where we fit helps us look at those ideals, those values that are embedded in our myth stories to see how we might live into them better, how we might see our history differently to help us guide us to a different future. Because even in that speech, Frederick Douglass is looking at the good things about those who came before but also reminding us that they did not see truly, they did not see everything, and they also caused great damage. And we still are sitting with this myth, this myth that we make and remake in every generation, and we all fit with the story differently. For many people in this country, they don't have a place in the 4th of July. Maybe their ancestors had been enslaved. Maybe their ancestors were removed from their land. Maybe their ancestors did not arrive here till a couple hundred years later, and they just don't see how they fit at the beginning. In some ways, the purpose of a myth like this is to help everyone bind together. But when the myth does not leave places, for certain people, we need to reevaluate how we all fit and in some ways to make that story anew. And that can be a, a difficult process to get into the history, to learn to separate the history from the story and then to learn how to explore that history to see if there's a new way to tell the story to include more people in the telling so that more people's stories are part of not just our history, but our ideal of who we are as a whole people. And there's deeper work to be done and it happens in each of our lives because we all come from different places. We all have different histories and different locations and connections or disconnections from this story. And to sit and sometimes struggle with those feelings that are attached, to see how our personal identities might be attached to that story and how it affects the stories we tell about ourselves, that can be very challenging. There are some people who don't wanna look at that history because they don't want to do that part of the work to look at who they are if the story doesn't get told quite the way they're used to. And I'll share a little bit of my own story of the 4th of July, just an example of what this process can look like. This might be a place to start exploring how you fit with the story of the 4th of July of America. I am from a family where one side of my family has only been in America a couple generations. So they have a later attachment to the story. 
But the other side of my family has been here since long before it was America. The family ancestor who came here wasn't on the Mayflower, but that ancestor came here not too much later and settled up in Massachusetts colony. And so when we discuss colonialism and the effects of colonization on how we experience the world, as many of you did in the RE course this year, um, and which I reviewed the slides on my own. And I thank you to Skylar and Enver for sharing those with me. For me, that means I'm also grappling with my family and my identity. I can remember as a kid sitting on my dad's lap. A special time in my family was one-on-one -on -one reading time with dad. He had these books from his childhood that he would sit one of us on his lap, one of me or my two sisters. And he would read us a bunch of poems. But reading time for each of us began with a specific poem that was our poem. And he would always read it first before he started reading other poems. And mine was Paul Revere's Ride by William Wadsworth Longfellow. One if by land and two if by sea and I on the opposite shore will be ready to ride and spread the alarm through every Middlesex village and farm for the country folk to be up and to arm. Me as a kid sitting on my dad's lap, hearing those words, the story of Paul Revere, a special time with my dad, the beginning of the War of Independence, an important key to the myth we celebrate today. And for me, the connection to my dad makes a reminder of childhood joy and love. It connects it to a poem and then connects that poem to the actual history of the beginnings of the war. And that is how myth works. We each build important memories and emotions on our own lives into the symbols that connect with the story and make it part of us. And yet I've always known that many did not benefit from this supposed war for independence. And I have long doubted the values and actions of those who identified too closely with this history. I was in high school when someone suggested I could get extra access to scholarship money if I would join the DAR, the Daughters of the American Revolution. Now, I had no doubts that I could qualify for the DAR. After all, I could name at least one general from the Revolutionary War in my extended family. But I could also remember being aware that this was somehow wrong that there would be a group who only allowed people who could directly connect themselves with that original war, who could get money for college. It excluded from membership anyone who could not be part of those who fought on the side of the colonists, ignored those who were not allowed to fight, ignored those who get here later, Ignore those who were in the Spanish or French colonies. None of them could get access to this extra help. 
And so I absolutely refuse to even try to join the DAR. But it is that, that double-sided edge of there's something there that I could get because I am who I am. As long as I'm willing to stand with those who are in that group and ignore all the people who don't fit in that story. And I admit, especially knowing about the uh, General Israel Putnam, who is one of the, the revolutionary members of my family, it's tempting to look at that history and find the good ancestors. I don't think my family owned any people and or enslaved them, but I also have not gone back to one of the most complete social histories that I've read that includes a portion of my family to check if it mentions the records or not. And that's part of hoping to separate my family from the truth that the very beginning of our nation that claimed to be a democracy and a symbol of freedom enslaved people. And that much of our nation was built by the labor of those people who were denied freedom. And I know my family farmed land that was taken from the original peoples of America, the indigenous people who lived there before my ancestors came and took their land using guns and treaties. And as I went through the years of our family history, I could see the family move into newer and newer colonies and territories and then brand new states. And each new colony, each new territory, each new state, that was all land taken often through slaughter or forced removal. I can trace the movement of my family with the removal of the Native Americans from their lands. I'm sharing this, it's a process that I and my sister, Rebecca, uh, who's the family genealogist for my generation have undertaken. When we find out something new about a section of the family, we reflect on what it tells us about how we fit into this colonial history of America. We share some of how it feels to know that we are connected and come from those who helped make our country what it is, sometimes in ways that are tragic and awful. Especially those among us who come from families like mine that have ties to the beginning of our nation. It can be a very important step to understanding the fuller history of America to know how we really fit into that history, both the good and the bad. And to confront that sometimes what has been celebrated as good was actually truly terrible. And if we can create those spaces where it doesn't have to be us or them, but all different parts of us, that bad things happen to those among us whose ancestors were owned by ancestors of others of us, those among us whose lands were taken by the ancestors of others of us then we can find how we all fit together into a story. Not having a myth that only has places for some of us, but a myth that's big enough to share the relationships between all of us, to make a fuller history where we can all 
have our story part of our collective story. And then we can look at the ideals and the values that story tells. Can you imagine what story we could tell if we included the story of all the people? And then what could we build together? What things could we let go of? What new things could we embrace? What things could we build? Things could we tear down? If we had this new myth to sustain us, as we continue to make history, to seek liberation for all the people and not just some of the people. I know that's not a great celebration of how we think of the 4th of July, but I would dream of a day when, when we celebrate the 4th, we can tell it the story of how different groups gained their liberty, the ongoing saga of how we made a country truly dedicated to freedom for all and not just for some. So happy 4th of July for the 4th of July that we and so many others must work to make a new holiday. Our closing words are by the 20th century American writer, Audre Lorde. One of the hardest things to accept is learning to live within uncertainty and neither deny it nor hide behind it. Most of all, to listen to the messages of uncertainty without allowing them to immobilize me, nor keep me from the certainties of those truths in which I believe. I turn away from any need to justify the future to live in what has not yet been, believing, working for what has not yet been while living fully in the present now. So I'm really excited for today's video to get to sit down with Reverend Beth Putnam. Reverend Beth, thank you for being here with us today. Hey, good to be with you, Ember. And, oh gosh, what a, what a fascinating service. Uh, I, I really love our all came together. I hope my, my time for all ages frozen uh, theme helped. <laughs> I love frozen. So, and for, yes. I'm one of the few people who I liked frozen too better. So. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it, it was quite the, quite the challenge. And I will give credit where credit's due that uh, my wife Beck actually, we were, we were watching all watching frozen together. And she said, Hey, this is kind of like what you need to talk about for for Sunday, right? And I was like, ah, you're great. I was like, this is wonderful. Um, so, I mean, but what a, what a theme, you know? I think uh, a lot of churches just kind of do like, hey, it's 4th of July, America. And, you know, you chose to, to dive deep into thinking about the, the history of it and thinking about what it means for us to celebrate or be Americans. I, I, I really appreciate you uh, taking a more challenging route on, on the theme of service. Well, part of it is knowing that for we have folks in our congregation who it's not a day they're going to want to celebrate. So needing to make a space where like it's not a happy holiday for everybody. And once you start from what is it a holiday of and who doesn't get to be part of the holiday, 
um, other than it's a day off work and holidays, hot dogs, family. Um, yeah, so she like, I guess I've become more aware of it because like I work with veterans and for many of them, it's a very bad day because the fireworks and everything can cause all sorts of difficulties for not just vets, but lots of people, the sound and the noise, you know, it's not a good holiday. Yeah, so I think I that's know, where definitely. I started that it's not a holiday. It's not a good holiday for everybody. So where do we grapple with what that means? Right. No, oh, definitely. So yeah. I mean, do you want to share a little bit more about like the inspiration for the service? I know you mentioned like the confronting colonialism slides in the, in the message, uh, but what really were some of your inspirations as you uh, prepared this message? Well, um, so, you know, and thank you to, you know, you and Skylar taught that confronting colonialism class. Part of it is the work that Fourth U and other Unitarian Universalist congregations have been doing for several years of trying to get into forgotten parts of history. So like I was part of the group here at Fourth U that did the Beloved Conversations curricula in its original form when it was offered here. And we had as part of our work to try to get into the history of Fourth, the history of New York City um, and where white supremacy had obliterated things from history. And we've seen that recently in our national conversation about learning the history of what happened in Tulsa, learning other parts of history we haven't learned. Um, so I just had wanted to share what it means, especially for those of us who come from uh, European ancestry or colonial ancestry to have to grapple with what it does to our story if we get into that history. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, so you mentioned it in the reflection and so, being, being a curious person, I had to quickly Google search for uh, General Israel Putnam. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, you know, this is, you know, I, I have, I've done some family ancestry research. And I think maybe somebody in the Kelly line was a foot soldier in the, in the army. And uh, like that, that, that was about it that I could find. I couldn't find anything too conclusive. Though I did find out that, a, um, that an ancestor on the other side looked like they were related to somebody who founded Jamestown. Mm -hmm. um, so also some colonial history there but so with such a big figure um you know there's streets named after him cities named after him i think i saw a street in brooklyn was named after, after well it's him. not necessary after him it, there's different putnam family okay. people who again but again being being from one of the families where there's a putnam county and the putnam street and multiple putnam streets <laughs> but you know that's and, and having to, especially when looking at the, the colonial history, I found my sister has been doing like the serious uh, genealogy. Um, my aunt died last year and I went up to help collect all of her research materials and get them passed to my sister to have her take over the genealogy in the family. So I made sure this, the important documents got to her. And then she sort of dug in and we would meet to talk about what we found. And, and once you start getting into that history and you start looking at it as, you know, I've, you know, 
So this is one of the tougher ancestors is uh, one of the other uh, officers in the Revolutionary War was Rufus Putnam, who was a cousin of Israel Putnam, who in later life became the surveyor who laid out the territory of Ohio. And toward the end of that project, they, and this is an example of how the government had its interests at work, they promoted him to brigadier general so that he would have sufficient status to go negotiate a final treaty for the removal of the final tribal groups from the Northwestern Ohio territory. So the final removal of all the indigenous groups of Ohio was negotiated by Rufus Putnam. But then when, when they did the actual convention to become a territory, he along with one of his, his colleagues were sort of credited that the two of them sort of held the line and swayed the convention to ensure that Ohio would be a free territory and not a slave territory because it was an open question and many thought it would be a slave territory. And so you get into this like, okay, you know, he was against slavery, so that's good, but Indian removal, not good. <laughs> and, and that same thing, they're literally like the layout of the state of Ohio, where the cities are. Those were all his actual decisions. Right. Like he checked where Toledo is. He picked where Cincinnati is. You know, he, he literally walked the land and said, this is where the Ohio State University will be. <laughs> and it's wow. kind of this weird enormity to think that, that somebody did that. <laughs> right, you know, that it, it's easy to have that sort of thing be really distant, but when it's, you know, specifically also a relative and like <laughs> you can say, um, and, you know, and I think a lot of times we talked about it in confronting colonialism that like, um, I mean, I know in history class for me that like being a surveyor was like when they talked about like George Washington was a surveyor, it was just like, oh, he really liked making maps and was very adventurous and going like, it wasn't really talked about what that person was actually doing in terms of like dividing the land and preparing it for selling and, you know, making the money off of it as well. Like it, 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 it it's often like this vague idea in our history of like, ah, surveyor, they just like came out and they took measurements. Um, and they, yeah, it's weird to think about that it's this much bigger concept. Um, yeah, and the, and the fact that how much of our politics was about things like, cause I saw recently for the first time, like how much land George Washington had laid claim to and left in his estate and how much of his wealth came from the taking of land um, right yeah no it's interesting and i mean so with doing this on the fourth of july like i think a lot of us are grappling with the fourth of july i know i grew up as a military kid and like i grew up in the evangelical world and we we prayed for george bush during the start of the iraq war as i was in high school so like patriotism was very much in in my bones uh much less so now in life um <laughs> and it's it's rough to grapple with the fourth of july like you know what it, what does the fourth of july mean to you now and 
and that's where I, I still struggle. I, I think I'm very much, I, I do love the way President Obama used to speak about America and this experiment we're on to actually live into the ideals that we never actually did. So I'm sort of, I keep holding that as the hope that's, that we can use the dream of what it, we were taught it was, but never was, could be made real by us. Um, or the future generations of us, you know, making that more perfect union. Um, but it, on a personal level, it's like, you know, I grew up, my grandparents flew their flag every single day. Part of the reason I don't fly one is one, it's hard to do in a New York apartment. But two, if I did it, I was, I was going to do it right. I, 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 my stomach still physically gets ill when I see people flying flags wrong, which way too many people do it's like i see somebody and they've got a tattered flag it's like no let me take that down and take it to the vfw so they can burn it properly because you're not you don't do that to the flag so there's this way in which it's too important to not fight for um to not try and find a way to make it meaningful and not for those who want to use it to continue some of the oppressions that it's been used for in the past. And, you know, it's, there's a, and that's a conversation that's going on now. There's people who don't want us to know this history because they want us to live that old dream. <laughs> and those of us who want to make actual liberty ring true need to, to talk about it and make sure we know where we stand. Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's important that we have conversations like these, that we, you know, acknowledge that the history is complicated and that it's okay to have complicated feelings about the fourth and it's okay to have complicated feelings about the country and about patriotism and that you know, together we can work on, on figuring out what that means going forward by having these kind of conversations. Yeah. And if I can share, I did also pray for George W. Bush when he first invaded, but I prayed that if he were, if you could be right enough that he could do the invasion and not cause immense harm and not kill lots of people who are not at all connected and we could get out and get home safely. Unfortunately, that prayer did not get answered yes. <laughs> yes uh, I was gonna say a slight bit different than the one that we did in the yes, Pentecostal but... chapel where it was, uh, um, you know, help us to, to um, conquer those that would defame Christianity. Um, yeah, very, a little bit different. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but we can we can we can all pray for our country in our own way. Yes, definitely, and you know, and together we can keep pushing to, as you said, uh, work towards that that more perfect union. So, Reverend Beth, thank you so much for both just a, a great uh, theme, a great message uh, to really get us thinking as we as we start our July and still be thinking even on a holiday. <laughs> I know. I'm supposed to just talk about like picnics and aren't they fun? <laughs> a sermon about hot dogs. Why, you know, that, that could be. <laughs> and thank uh, you for, for having this conversation. It's, 
it was fun to get a chance to talk about you know what I was thinking about and what led me uh, to pick my theme. Um, thank you yeah, as always to, to all of our listeners. Uh, so thank you, Beth. Thank you, listeners, and uh, come back next week for another new video. <laughs>